I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, we've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with Father Leo Padalinghug, who is the, the founder of the international movement Grace Before Meals. Uh, he's got an EWTN show every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern called Savoring Our Faith. Uh, and so you may have seen him, but he is a cooking priest. Uh, and so we're going to be talking with him a little bit about his journey into the priesthood and a little bit about his passion uh, for food and for people. It's going to be a great conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. But as always, we're going to start our time together in prayer, in a reading from Scripture and reading from church history. Now, uh, we're in an interesting place because the show, of course, airs on Saturday uh, first. Uh, and then uh, in the middle of the week, we have Ash Wednesday. And so next week, when we come back together, we're going to be in the, the, the middle of the Lenten season. And so because of that, I want to spend a little bit of time with our readings from Ash Wednesday to help us uh, get started. So we're going to do the readings, not not the scripture readings, but we're going to do our prayer out of the breviary uh, from Ash Wednesday. And of course, the breviary is that, uh, that collection of prayers that priests and religious and lay people are encouraged to pray five times a day. Uh, and you can find out more information. You can get an app that you can uh, pray the breviary free uh, at ibreviary.com. Of course, you can find that in the links over on outsidethewalls.com. Uh, it's one that I use all the time. So we're going to be doing uh, we're going to be doing our prayer from Ash Wednesday's breviary, and we're going to be doing our reading from church history from Ash Wednesday as well, out of the Office of Readings in the breviary. Uh, our readings out of Scripture, we're going to take from today. I want to go ahead and do today's reading because I'm expecting that you're actually going to make it to the Ash Wednesday service. Uh, and so you're going to hear those readings. Uh, and so we're going to do the readings from today, today, that Saturday reading. But I, I want to encourage you as you come into this Lenten season to participate in all that the church offers you. So that means the Ash Wednesday service. I know it's in the middle of the week. Uh, but it's something that is uh, going to, to strengthen your Lenten journey. It's going to strengthen your spiritual life and what you get out of that Lenten season. When we get to Easter, your Easter is going to be that much more rich because of your participation in Lent. So I want you to go to Ash Wednesday. I want you, as we get closer to Easter, uh, not just to go to Passion Sunday and then Easter Sunday. No, make, make uh, use of that whole week of the Monday, Thursday, and the Good Friday, and the Holy Saturday services. And, we, you know, I've got five small children, one eminently here, uh, a sixth, and we go to the Easter Vigil, and it's long, yes, but there's a lot of scripture, and there's a lot of symbolism, and there's so much there that makes Easter a time of great rejoicing. Not to mention you get to participate with those who are coming into the church of course, I myself and my wife, we're both converts, and so we, we feel a special kinship with those who are making their journey uh, into full communion with the Catholic Church, and we want to support them as they come in the church each Easter vigil. So I encourage you, if you've never done an Easter vigil, uh, make this the first year. You know, Make this the year that you go whole heart into the Lenten season uh, by participating in in all the activities, the uh, the Stations of the Cross every Friday, uh, the the abstinence 
you know, do the soup supper or the fish fry, whatever the case may be in your area. Uh, do that every week and just go all in. Participate fully in that season of Lent. I know it's not Lent yet, but we're almost there. And so I just want to bring that encouragement to you. Okay, let's go ahead and open up our time in prayer. God, our Father, brings us to the beginning of Lent. We pray that during this time of salvation, he will fill us with the Holy Spirit, purify our hearts, and strengthen us in love. Let us humbly ask him, Lord, give us your Holy Spirit. May we be filled and satisfied by the word that you give us. Teach us to be loving not only in great and exceptional moments, but above all in the ordinary events of daily life. May we abstain from what we do not really need and help our brothers and sisters in distress. May we bear the wounds of your Son, for through his body he gave us life. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, protect us in our struggle against evil. As we approach the beginning of Lent, make our time holy by our self-denial. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today's first reading uh, comes from 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, because that was the most renowned high place. Upon its altar, Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, Ask something of me, and I will give it to you. Solomon answered, You have shown great favor to your servant, my father David, because he behaved faithfully toward you with justice and an upright heart. You have continued this great favor toward him even today, seating a son of his on his throne. O Lord, my God, you have made me your servant, king to succeed my father David. But I am a mere youth, not knowing at all how to act. I serve you in the midst of people whom you have chosen, a people so vast that it cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding heart to judge your people and distinguish right from wrong. For who is able to govern this vast people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon made this request. So God said to him, Because you have asked for this, not for a long life for yourself, nor for riches, nor for the life of your enemies, but for understanding, so that you may know what is right, I do as you requested. I give you a heart so wise and understanding that there has never been anyone like you up to now, and after you there will come no one equal to you. In addition, I give you what you have not asked for, such riches and glory that among kings there is not your like. That reading comes from 1 Kings chapter 3. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 119. Lord, teach me your statutes. How shall a young man be faultless in his way? By keeping to your words. Lord, teach me your statutes. With all my heart I seek you. 
Let me not stray from your commands. Lord, teach me your statutes. Within my heart, I treasure your promise that I may not sin against you. Lord, teach me your statutes. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the ordinances of your mouth. Lord, teach me your statutes. In the way of your decrees, I rejoice, as much as in all riches. Lord, teach me your statutes. Today's gospel comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter 6. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and reported all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. People were coming and going in great numbers, and they had no opportunity even to eat. So they went off in the boat by themselves to a a deserted place. People saw them leaving, and many came to know about it. They hastened there on foot from all the towns and arrived at the place before them. When Jesus disembarked and saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them. For they were all like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. That reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Our reading from church history today comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement I. Let us fix our attention on the blood of Christ and recognize how precious it is to God, his Father, since it was shed for our salvation and brought the grace of repentance to all the world. If we review the various ages of history, we will see that in every generation the Lord has offered the opportunity of repentance to any who are willing to turn to him. When Noah preached God's message of repentance, all who listened were saved. Jonah told the Ninevites they were going to be destroyed, but when they repented, their prayers gained God's forgiveness for their sins, and they were saved, even though they were not of God's people. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the ministers of God's grace have spoken of repentance. Indeed, the master of the whole universe himself spoke of repentance with an oath, As I live, says the Lord, I do not wish the death of any sinner but his repentance. He added this evidence of his goodness. House of Israel, repent of your wickedness. Tell the sons of my people, if their sins should reach from earth to heaven, if they are brighter than scarlet and blacker than sackcloth, you only need to turn to me with your whole heart and say, Father, and I will listen to you as a holy people. In other words, God wanted all his beloved ones to have the opportunity to repent, and he confirmed this desire by his own almighty will. That is why we should obey his sovereign and glorious will and prayerfully entreat his mercy and kindness. We should be suppliant before him and turn to his compassion, rejecting empty works and quarreling and jealousy, which only lead to death. Brothers, we should be humble in mind putting aside arrogance, pride, and foolish anger. Rather, we should act in accordance with the Scriptures. As the Holy Spirit says, the wise man must not glory in his wisdom, nor the strong man in his strength, nor the rich man in his riches. Rather, let him who glories glory in the Lord by seeking him and doing what is right and just. Recall especially what the Lord Jesus said when he taught gentleness and forbearance. Be merciful, he said 
so that you may have mercy shown to you. Forgive so that you may be forgiven. As you treat others, so you will be treated. As you give, so you will receive. As you judge, so will you be judged. As you are kind to others, so you will be treated kindly. The measure of your giving will be the measure of your receiving. Let these commands and precepts strengthen us to live in humble obedience to his sacred words. As scripture asks, Whom shall I look upon with favor except the humble, peaceful man who trembles at my words? Sharing then in the heritage of so many vast and glorious achievements, let us hasten towards the goal of peace set before us from the beginning. Let us keep our eyes firmly fixed on the Father and Creator of the whole universe and hold fast to His splendid and transcendent gifts of peace and all His blessings. That reading comes to us from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement I, Pope and Martyr. Ah, well, this is uh, just uh, one of my favorite seasons of the year as we move towards that time of self-examination where we look at at our own failings. And I I know what you're thinking. That's your favorite time of year? It is. It is because it recognizes our own inability uh, to be perfect, right? We're not. And a lot of times we say, oh, well, nobody's perfect, right? And But when we say that, we don't really mean uh, that we should change, right? We don't mean, oh, I should, nobody's perfect, therefore I should repent. We say, nobody's perfect, therefore get off my back. And so that, that's not what Lent is about. Lent is about recognizing our own imperfection because God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. When I recognize and acknowledge that uh, I have a short temper or that I've failed or that I, um, I don't pay enough attention to the people that matter, that's, that's not an excuse to keep behaving that way. Rather, it's an excuse to run into the arms of mercy, into the arms of God himself, to seek his mercy, his forgiveness, and the strength to go forward to live a holy life. Well, join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Let me know what you think. When we come back, we'll talk with Father Leo Padalinghag. Much more to come. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. Oh, we got a great show for you today. We're talking with Father Leo Padalinghug. He's the founder of Grace Before Meals, uh, an international apostolate dedicated to bringing families back to the, the dinner table and families uh, through that being strengthened. He's a, a host on EWTN. Program Savoring Our Faith, uh, Thursdays, 5 p.m. Eastern on EWTN, correct? Correct. And uh, also a co-host on uh, Sirius XM, uh, and the show there is... Savoring Our... Well, actually, it's transitioning, to be honest with you, because I was doing something called Entertaining Truth with Tom Leopold, who's a famous comedy writer for Cheers and Seinfeld, Will and Grace, but we both agree that it was just really tough on our schedule. Okay. So we're making transitions, and I'll probably be doing another type of Food and Faith show for Sirius XM. Excellent. And of course, you've been everywhere on all the, <laughs> all the 
around the world, all the different media networks, uh, every different kind of place that you could talk about food. I always think it's fun when you have a, a radio show about food. Oh, yeah. Uh, can can you just smell? You know, it's bad enough when you're watching TV and they're, like, they're talking about the aromas and now, now well, here you're on radio. I know, like with radio, I think what's interesting about it is that it really engages people's imagination. Yeah. Uh, you know, TV can kind of numb us to the point where we're only looking looking at it. What what radio requires, though, is for us to really engage people's imaginative, creative senses and to make them think, to make them think about what we're talking about, not just simply looking at it. Now, let's go from there, because you are a very creative person. <laughs> uh, well, you, you're a chef, first I of am, all, and yeah. that, that takes a certain amount of imagination and, uh, and boldness and uh, willingness to, to try things that nobody's tried before, right? I, I've got that you put the recipe in front of me, and, and, and I can probably do it all right, but <laughs> being a chef takes a lot of imagination. And then beyond that, you were a choreographer for a number of years. Yeah, uh, breakdancing. Breakdancing. Of all when things. it first came out, you know, the super old school style breakdancing in the 80s. Right. Yeah. So, so you've, you've been a dancer, a choreographer, a, uh, a chef, a television, radio personality. Uh, is there anything you can't do? I mean, basketball, <laughs> damn basketball at five, five. I stink at basketball. <laughs> uh, well, you, you have, you, there's plenty of five, five people out there that do all, you know, Pistol Pete was, was, a uh, yeah, again, I mean like that's one out of how many, come on. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about uh, a couple of things. First of all, I want to know about your family background and, and whether family meals were a part of that and, and how you got to this place in the priesthood of wanting to encourage people to come back to the family meal? Yeah, that's a great question. It really all begins at the family level, which is kind of why, you know, the Catholic Church, and I think other churches really focus on the family, because mm -hmm. it is the center of the attack. You mm -hmm. know, I, we, the devil wants nothing more than to destroy the communion right. uh, of the family, which is an image of the Holy Trinity, where different people work and live together as one. Mm -hmm. So, yes, to be honest with you, the whole Grace Before Meals movement was uh, simply an implanted idea that grew secretly in my soul because my family just ate together all the time. My father was a physician, uh, and besides being a Filipino background, we always ate late, but we had to eat late out of necessity because yeah. dad was working. And so uh, we would have family dinners all the time, and we had to be there. And we did gracebeforemeals.com, just saying. <laughs> but we also did grace after meals, which also required us to clean up together. So mm. my mom made sure that every one of their children knew how to do three things. One, how to pray. Two, how to balance your budget. You know, and, and the third thing was how to live, which was including making sure we did our laundry. And we also knew how to make our own meals. That was a really big thing for my mom was to make sure... We were self-sufficient. Now, that's a, a thing that has largely been lost in our society. We've gotten very busy. Everyone's off in their own directions or they're, they're absorbed in their own technology that's right in front of them. And, and even when we're all in one place, it seems that technology can separate us from one another. Yeah. What are some just basic steps that you have that you can give to us that uh, what's the first thing that someone can do to begin to build the bridges of recreating a strong family? Well, you know, I, I never want to give anyone a program, mm -hmm. which is why Grace Before Meals is not a program. It's it's a mentality. Mm -hmm. So what I'd first like to challenge people is just ask the basic question. What are the events or the activities in your family life 
that actually strengthens your relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. Just think about it. I mean, don't make this difficult. Just stop and think. And you'll realize that the family meal is the central, most focused activity your family can do to encourage togetherness. So once they've actually put that in their noggin, you know, uh, we, we have this phrase in the Catholic liturgy, lex orande, uh, lex credende, uh, mm -hmm. which is how you pray is what you believe. But there's a third unspoken reality. It's lex vivendi. It's the law of living. Right. So if you actually realize that the family meal is the most important thing you can do as a family, then you're going to follow suit. You are actually going to make the family meal a priority. And then after that, it's literally the practicalities of just scheduling it. Mm -hmm. making sure it happens, which means you have to say no to some things. Right. Now, you've got someone out there. I can hear the objection right now. Oh, yeah. I, we totally can hear them complaining about this. Do you know how much time <laughs> that's going to take me in the kitchen? Uh, maybe you've got someone who, who doesn't have a chef's background. Sure. Uh, what do you have resources to help them create that family meal in a way that, that they can approach it uh, well, well, I mean, again, I, I don't want to give them a program, right? I mean, granted, I'd love for everybody to buy my books available right. where books are sold. You know, I I would love for them to be able to to use the suggestions of the book, which admits that everyone is busy, so you can't actually do a daily meal, but mm -hmm. maybe you could do two or three in a month's time, so that you can at least have something intentional that brings your family together. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Besides all of that, I, I think that people also have to admit something. Uh, you can't cook perfectly all the time. So right. stop trying to be the beavers. Stop trying to be the Brady Bunch. And my God, they had Alice. Right. So it's not like they, they mom and dad cooked all those meals on their own. Right. You know, look, if you got to buy a bucket of chicken from KFC... Yeah. Go ahead and do it. And don't feel guilty. I absolve you of the fast food guilt. <laughs> but it's really just the intention. And even if it has to be breakfast, yeah, great. No worries. Even if it is a late night snack or, mm -hmm. a, you know, a after dinner dessert so that you can all come together. All I'm asking people do is just think common sense. It's unfortunately not very common. But if they actually make a family meal a most important thing you do daily and make it an intentional activity, you know, people aren't dumb. They can mm -hmm. figure it out. Now, you, you've... Oh, you, and I don't want to insult anyone. So, <laughs> but I do just want to let people know, yeah. stop making this harder than it is. Yeah, and you've said a couple of times you don't want to give people a program. Yeah. But the truth is some people really do, they have struggle... Uh, conceptualizing it. They, okay. they want something to figure out how to grab hold of it. And I know that you, there's lots of people out there that have resources. I know that you have resources. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure that in your counseling of people before you've said, okay, let's break this down. I know that you've got a lot of things going on, uh, but here are some steps you can take, not as a program, but in your individual situation, uh, a first thing that you can do to begin moving toward that idea of family meals. Okay. You're raising some really good points, but I think it's really addressing the fact that common sense has been lost. Yeah. It really is about starting the dialogue with your family. Mm -hmm. It's about saying to your family at some point, hey, we have really lost a certain sense of connectivity here because we're all so busy. Can we all agree to 
la-di-da-di-da. Right. So once you get that conversation started, then we just simply engage the senses of other people. How can we make this happen? And then it really becomes a collaborative effort. It becomes that one family activity. And then it just becomes as easy as, what would you like to eat this week? Hey, Uh who's going to help me? Let's schedule this out. Hey, who's going to go grocery shopping with me? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very clear in the scriptures. If you don't work, you don't eat. And Mm -hmm. I think the one thing we need to do is work to feed one another. Yeah. My, we do a family meal most nights and we've got sure. small children. Uh, the well, old, that's always a lot of fun. <laughs> the oldest is eight. The youngest is, uh, well, almost two with one on the way. And my two-year-old has learned uh, that the appropriate dinner conversation is, so daddy, how was your day? Yeah, I've and, seen that. That is, an, first of all, you got some adorable kids. Thank you very much. And so, but there's this idea of, they don't necessarily know what else to do, but they know to inquire into the life of another. Sure. Uh, and I have some friends who their kids are a little bit older and they have a requirement that when you come to the dinner table, you put your electronic device, whatever that is, it goes in a basket mm-hmm. and we don't look at them. We don't touch them until after cleanup. Sure. Right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a great little video out there. It's from Australia, and I can't remember exactly the company, but they devised a pepper grinder that as soon as the mom turns (laughs) the pepper grinder, literally all Wi-Fi, all technology is just shut down. And the video is actually pretty funny because it showed just the complexities of trying to get families to the dinner table because they're all stuck on their Wi-Fi. And then as soon as she turns the pepper grinder, everything shuts down. Everyone freaks out for about like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then the only thing they can do is talk at the dinner table. Pretty funny. I saw something else along those same lines of uh, the power went out. And so, gosh, there wasn't anything else to do. There was no TV. There was nothing else. So they had to have a family game night. And then, (laughs) oh, uh, my gosh. Oh, gracious. (laughs) And then after the family game night, you see the father go down to the switchboard and, hey, look, the power came back. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we have to be deceptive. Right. Sometimes we have to be cunning as serpents, innocent as doves. Right. So if that technology helps to curb technology (laughs) abuse, then use it. But I think it really has to begin with something a little more sincere. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, what are we longing for? I mean, I don't know if you know this, Tim, but there was an MTV study, and they worked with Associated Press, and they asked thousands of teenagers in America what makes you happiest. The number one answer was spending time with my family. Yeah. I mean, who are these teenagers? Well, they're <laughs> your teenagers who know that if they have a good relationship with mom and dad, they can ask you for 20 bucks because they're short. Or mm-hmm. they can ask you for the keys or maybe to stay out a little later for curfew. Right. And mom and dad will trust you because they have a relationship with you. But not only that, I think our kids want our involvement. You know, you talk. Oh, they're begging for it. You, you talked last night uh, at our parish mission, which. Uh, you've been doing here in in the Dallas Fort Worth area. You talked about we long to have the eyes of our father on us. Oh yeah, is that a is I I hate to say it, but that's a brilliant yeah, observation that we want people who love us to look, we want to sense their gaze on us. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit more right after this break. Join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Let me know what your family dinner traditions are. Well, we're talking with Father Leo Paddlinghug, the founder of Grace Before Meals. Got much more to do right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today with Father Leo Padalinghug. He is the founder of Grace Before Meals, uh, an international movement of bringing people back to the dinner table, strengthening family, and thereby strengthening the church and all of our lives. Well, Father, thank you for being on the show today. Pleasure My to have pleasure, you. really. So I want to talk a little bit about your uh, your religious order, but not religious order. It's mm-hmm. a little it's a little different here. Uh, the Latin for it is the will of God, right? Correct, voluntas dei, and it's really a secular institute okay. of pontifical right, which basically means my ultimate boss is the Pope. Okay. All right. There you go. <laughs> How often do you have to have staff meetings? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. But really, it, it looks like a religious order okay. with one exception. We don't actually live in an actual community okay. because our charism as a secular institute mm-hmm. is to evangelize the secular world. Okay. And so we share the consecration of a religious order mm-hmm. in that we vow uh, chastity, poverty, and obedience. But we live like the diocesan world, which are actually secular priests. Right. Because at one point, all they did was just live in the midst of the world. Now it's changed over, you know, the centuries mm-hmm. where they look kind of like just parish priests. Right. But we got to remember that diocesan priests don't just do parish work. They right. do what needs to be done in the midst of the world. So talk to me about the size of the order, how many people are involved in it, and the various charisms that each of you do. Of course, yours uh, is revolving around the family and the family meal. Sure. Uh, but what are some of the other people in the in the institution? So uh, we became officially a U.S. district. Uh, there are about 1,200 of us around the world. Okay. It started by a man who was a uh, uh, oblate of Mary Immaculate, um, an OMI order mm-hmm. in Quebec, Trois-Rivières. His name is Father Louis-Marie Perrant. He's a, a wonderful, holy man who passed away a few years ago. Okay. And his calling by the bishop in Quebec, Trois-Rivières, that's just an area there, uh, was to create an institute where priests and consecrated lay people can come together with the charism to, again, evangelize in the midst of the world, no matter what their particular calling in life might be. Okay. So in America, we have about, uh, I would say, about 120 members scattered mm-hmm. throughout the United States. Uh, practically, we have to live on our own. We have to take care of our own finances, including our own future. So if I don't work, I don't eat. Right. Um, we contribute to the cause of the Institute but we're also required to have a particular a charitable organization to which we you know, contribute. Mm-hmm. So other people in the Institute, whether they're married, some of them are judges, some of them are lawyers, some of them are business professionals, some of them are teachers, mm-hmm. but then also you have priests who do the same thing. Right. So it's kind of interesting to see how a priest is in a way in the midst of it all, kind of like Jesus. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your journey first to the priesthood, mm-hmm. uh, and then your journey through the priesthood into cooking, because you know that came actually second and not first. You, your love for cooking came while you were at uh, the North American College in Rome. Yeah, and then uh, then from there, let's talk about how you discerned not only the priesthood but this specific uh, direction, this way, this order. Okay, well, as far as priesthood is concerned, it really began with the parish mission. 
mm. where a priest came and really challenged us in our faith just to either get over ourselves and learn more about it or continue to suffer through church. <laughs> it was it was really that obvious. You know, I mean, I, I, I can't say it any other way. And may God rest his soul. He died about 10 years ago. Uh, but he really challenged me to learn about the liturgy, and that got me going. That got mm-hmm. me realizing that Mass, while many people think it's boring, it's actually the most engaging thing you can do. Yeah. And so I began to investigate church, church's teaching, the liturgy, and I kind of just fell in love with the idea of doing this more officially. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after some discernment and after graduating with a degree in political science and journalism, I finally made the phone call, entered into diocesan priesthood formation. Uh, I studied at Theological College in Washington, D.C., and then to Rome. And it was there that I've always loved cooking, mm-hmm. but there, food is like a contact sport for these Italians. <laughs> My gosh, right? I mean, they yeah. take their food seriously. And and growing up in a Filipino background with daily meals, mm-hmm. I felt very much at home in Italy, even though they're all taller and whiter. You know, I mean, it just <laughs> felt like home because yeah. of that power of the meal. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we used our meal times to strengthen this brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And so these men who were strangers at one point, they really have become my brothers in Christ. Yeah. So now from there to you were in the diocesan formation, how did you get an, exposed to this new order, uh, this pontifical right? And, and then how did you discern into it. So the technical term would be a, an institute, institute, a secular institute. And again, people will look at it as an order, and we understand right. that. But there is something very different from okay. it in that we don't live in that in the same way, same yeah. community. And, and that's a big deal because mm-hmm. uh, you know a religious community they have to they have it hard. Yeah. I mean, that's why they have what they call the perfection of charity because they got to live with these people. <laughs> we don't. Our job is not to be in a community, but to build communities. Yeah. So it's a little different. And so uh, it was in my second assignment where I met a priest who was a Voluntas Dei Institute priest. And, you know, he never pushed it on me. Mm-hmm. I simply investigated it because he lived uh, and worked to some degree in the church where I was. And I just found myself completely bewildered by this. What yeah. is this thing that he's in? Because it just sounded honestly kind of wacky yeah but it's very charismatic mm-hmm. not in the uh, only the the you know the the traditional charismatic sense that we have today right but in the uh, rootedness of the gospel charisms yeah you know where Jesus literally had just a bunch of laymen as disciples and he would send them out into the world mm-hmm. and they just had to do something to build the kingdom so let's talk about the way you're building the kingdom you have a new foundation uh, the table foundation mm-hmm. the, the, pretty cool name isn't it it is a, a pretty I, I have cool to name. like i have to admit i like it a lot it came from prayer okay so grace before meals is the um the movement right that just simply tries to connect food faith family and my other favorite f word fun mm-hmm. so we just try to have fun with people and let them know that catholics are all about feast days and celebrations yeah. even if the feast day means fasting sometimes mm-hmm. so uh the table foundation however is the charitable branch and that just started this past year and one of the efforts we're going to be host- hosting is an annual mass to inspire encourage and unite people in the food world 
You see, we have the white mass, right. which is for doctors, the red mass for lawyers, the blue mass for police and firefighters and emergency responders. But we have nothing for people in the food and hospitality industry. We're running out of colors, though. Yeah, man. Guess what we got? What do you have? The olive mass. <laughs> well, so yeah. the double entendre there, it's yeah. awesome because of all of the theological significances, the social significance of olives, and then, of course, the culinary aspect right. of it all. And there is no one color right. because that's just who we are. We're a very... Uh, multicultural group. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have that on September 26th in New Orleans. The Archbishop of New Orleans gave us the cathedral to have the Mass. Wonderful. And our reception is going to be in the world-famous Ursuline Convent. And we're inviting a group called Chefs for Peace, who are Christian, Jewish, and Muslim chefs in the Holy Land. Hmm. And they're going to actually... Um, provide us with a benefit dinner, as well as some food for the reception. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, I was wondering how you were going to do the reception when you have a whole bunch of uh, of chefs in one place. <laughs> Is there any sense when you get around other chefs of... Uh, maybe a little bit of tension of, well, I would have done that different, or is it more a camaraderie and uh, exploration of one another's craft? Well, I think it's both. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't have any trouble with com competitiveness amongst this particular craft because it brings out the best in people as long as we know how to do it with charity. Yeah. It'd be no different from like physicians who would, you know, consult and challenge one another and they mm -hmm. would critique each other. Uh, and critique is an important part of growth as long as it's in a constructive and not destructive way. So Spe I have no idea what it's going to be like, but I'm sure right. the food's going to be stinking delicious. Yeah. Now, speaking of food competitions, uh, you were engaged in a food competition on the Food Network with Bobby yeah. Flay. Uh, lots of people know about that. You know, Lots of people watch that. How did you get roped into that? How did you get found? How were you uh, put in the crosshairs? Yeah, that's the crazy part. I, I have no idea because that show was originally based on finding chefs who were famous for something. And mm -hmm. I told Bobby, I'm not famous for anything. He said, you are now. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it was uh, Food Network doing their research on unique personalities and mm -hmm. chefs with unique backgrounds. Yeah. So they found me, and they just said, we'd love to talk about Grace Before Meals and your work. And I said, that would be awesome. And then it turned out to be a surprise cooking competition. And this was in 2009, but this thing still has legs because yeah. people, first of all, still watch the reruns. They still remember it. And, you know, Bobby, I was at an event, I don't know, maybe a year or two after the airing, and he was presenting. And he said, hey, Father Leo, come over here. And we were just chit-chatting. And he said, you know what? I am sick and tired of people asking me about you. <laughs> awesome, huh? Awesome. Well, we'll continue this conversation just on the other side of the break. We're talking with Father Leo Paddlinghug, founder and host of Grace Before Meals, an international movement and an EWTN television show, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on EWTN. You can catch them there or over at gracebeforemeals.com. Join our conversation over on facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And let us know a little bit about your family dinner traditions. A lot more to come right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Got a great show for you today. Thanks for sticking around. 
We're talking today with Father Leo Padaling-Hug. He's the founder and host of EW, uh, EWTN's show, uh, Savoring Faith. Savoring Our Faith. Savoring Our Faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, is the founder of Grace Before Meals, an international apostolate seeking to bring people back to the dinner table. Uh, we've gone a little bit over your history of becoming a priest. Uh, we've gone over your history of uh, the importance of family meals. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the research. Mm-hmm. Let's come back to, uh, it's not just an idea or even common sense that says uh, the family meal time is a very important time, but there's actually research out there that yeah. says it, this can be the most impactful time in, in terms of creating a strong relationship with your children. Uh, you know, if you have five minutes of time to sit down with them over homework or five minutes to sit down with them over a dessert, guess which one's going to be more impactful in them. Sure. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about the research and that, that backs up the, the work that you do with Grace Before Meals. Well, we had no idea that people would actually take this so scientifically seriously that, mm-hmm. that a family meal is, as you mentioned, the most impactful experience a child can have. But, but it's so, how shall I say, humanly, intuitively perfect I mean, and then you think, wow, this is why Jesus became food. Yeah. Because it is taking something from the outside and you making a choice to put it inside of you and it incarnates within you. It takes on flesh and dwells among us. And so the research actually came from CASA, the Center of Addictions and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. They're hardly a Catholic institution. Right. They're hardly a conservative group. So this is cutting across any type of paradigms that you might want to lock me into because I'm a Catholic priest. Right. But they wanted to promote a work called Family Day, where you turn off technology and just simply eat together because they realize that if you want to reduce drug addiction, teen pregnancy, teen suicide, plus improve your teenager's testing scores, the number one factor in all of that is a regular family meal. So let's define regular. You talked earlier, see if you could do it three or four times a month. Mm -hmm. Is there something to having it on the calendar, or is it the kind of thing where you can just say, oh, well, tonight's going to be the night? Well, I think it has to be both. Okay. Both and. Catholic theology is never either or. It's right. always both and. It should be something spontaneous, and it should be something that you are mandated to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I just remember my mom and dad saying, yeah, you can do these activities, but you better be home for dinner. Yeah. And that was just the rule. And, you know, as a teenage kid, while I hated it, mm-hmm. I certainly, deep down inside, appreciated it. Because it just meant I actually have a foundation. Yeah. There are so many things that are vying for our attention and for the attention of our children. Uh, and I think that we need some, even as adults, we need some structure that gives us a, a safety net that I know that if I've got a million things going on and I have way too much to do, I know that this priority, this one thing, the family meal, uh, time at mass together, uh, plug right there. Uh, those, which is by the way, our other family meal. Oh, absolutely. Right? Uh, those are the things that that center us and give us strength to do the rest of the craziness that that bombards us every day. Sure. If you just think about a child learning how to walk or ride a bike for the first time, Mm -hmm. that structure is mom and dad holding the back seat of your car or holding on to you as you're struggling to walk. Mm -hmm. So you need to have those foundational experiences. Again, what is the foundation of the family? 
Right. I mean, I can tell you it ain't Xbox, yeah. and I can tell you it ain't a sporting event. Right. I can tell you it is the intuitive, profoundly theological act of feeding one another. Well, let's talk a little bit about this idea of uh, food being uh, foundational. Because I think sometimes we get the idea that food is merely for physical sustenance. And so we, you know, we go and do the very basic kind of blah. Yeah. Food. Food. And it becomes more of less than of an enjoyable thing and more of, well, I guess I've got to do it. Let me stop through Wendy's again. Sure. Uh, No offense to Wendy's because, you know, I stopped there earlier today. But (laughs) uh, here's the question of what can we do to make mealtime more than just, okay, it's time to sit down at the table. In your family, it was part of the preparation was still part of that mealtime. And the cleanup was still part of that mealtime. And I think maybe moms out there maybe get a little overwhelmed or dads out there get a little overwhelmed with the idea of, oh gosh, I've got to make the whole meal and then they're going to come and they're not going to appreciate it and then they're going to go away. Uh, Well, then make their kids make it. I mean, again, it's just common sense. If you look, my mom and dad, if I didn't eat what they wanted to give me, yeah. Then I just starved. <laughs> so it's one or the other. And so there, there is this commonsensical approach yeah. to feeding people. Not every meal is going to be Thanksgiving. And frankly, right. Thanksgiving sometimes stinks. Yeah. So, I mean, but, but isn't it amazing that that one day of the year, we become a United States of America yep. and people go through hell and high water just to be with family for what? Dry turkey? I mean, not the way I make it, of course, but right. really, is it the turkey that brings? No. Right. It's just that one day where everyone becomes religious. Yeah. So here we have it. We have this call to return to the family meal. Mm-hmm. We have this call to say, you know, you don't have to have the meal by the paradigm that you you have in your mind. If that idea of the family meal stresses you out, then recreate it. Uh, if, if some of the factors or the variables don't line up to you, then make it work, create new variables, have the kids in there helping, have, have the kids do it if they're old enough, uh, and have a family participation, not just in the consumption of the food, but in the creation of the food and in the, the whole setting, have your kids, if they're too young to cook, have them set the table, have them do some participation in that meal and then see what grows out of it. Because it's more than just the consumption of food. It's more than just sitting in a single place. There's something really profound about sharing a meal. Absolutely. And I think you're, you're kind of nailing it. Um, if we don't make learning how to feed one another mm-hmm. a very important life lesson in children, then they just grow up becoming self-serving yeah. as opposed to having a servant's heart. It's all about them rather than the other. That's what food does. What a pleasure to have you on here today, Father Leo. Thanks for coming by. My pleasure. We've been talking with Father Leo Paddlinghug. He's the founder of Grace Before Meals, gracebeforemeals.com. Go over there and give him some love. You can find him on Facebook as well. Just type in Father Leo Paddlinghug or Grace Before Meals yeah, if that's easier, easier to spell. Ah. <laughs> uh, Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio, heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. We'll see you next week.